Hey everyone, I'm Thanos Davelis, and welcome back to The Greek Current, a podcast by the Hellenic American Leadership Council and Kathy Merini, where we highlight the top stories of the day every afternoon with analysis from guest experts, policymakers, journalists, and health staff. Earlier this month, President Biden proclaimed that the leader of the Islamic State was killed in a Syrian hideout. The raid, which took place a few kilometers from the border with Turkey, did not include Turkish forces. In fact, President Biden praised the Syrian Democratic Forces, with Kurdish fighters at its core, for their contributions in the raid. Turkey's exclusion from the raid and the fact that the Islamic State leader's hideout was so close to Turkey's border have raised new questions about Ankara's commitment to the fight against ISIS and its possible links to the terrorist group. Expert David Phillips joins the Greek Current to talk about the recent counterterrorism operation against the Islamic State's leader and look into the links between Turkey and ISIS. David Phillips is the director of the Program on Human Rights and Peacebuilding at Columbia University. Phillips is also a former senior advisor to the UN Secretariat and U.S. State Department and the author of the books Frontline Syria from Revolution to Proxy War, The Great Betrayal, How America Abandoned the Kurds and Lost the Middle East, and An Uncertain Ally, Turkey Under Erdogan's Dictatorship. David, it's great to have you back on The Greek Current. Good to be with you. David, earlier this month, President Biden proclaimed that the leader of the Islamic State, al-Qarashi, was killed in a Syrian hideout close to the Turkish border. How significant of a milestone was this in the fight against ISIS? It's a very significant milestone, but we need to keep in mind that ISIS is resilient. It has shown previously after Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi was killed in 2019 that it can reconstitute operations and designate new leadership. So the fact that Abu Ibrahim al-Hashimi al-Qureshi was killed on the second of this month doesn't mean that ISIS is defeated. It just means that we're entering a new phase of our counterterrorism plan. The raid, which took place a few kilometers from the border with Turkey, did not include Turkish forces. In fact, President Biden praised the Syrian Democratic Forces for their contributions in that raid. What does it tell us when the U.S. believes it's best to partner with the Kurds rather than a NATO ally like Turkey? Well, the reason we didn't inform Turkey in advance is because we didn't want Turkey's National Intelligence Agency to notify Qureshi that U.S. Delta forces were on their way. The fact that we have to keep important information away from Turkey just confirms that Turkey is an unreliable ally, not only in Syria when it comes to counterterrorism, but in other parts of the eastern Mediterranean and other areas in Turkey's near abroad. And in contrast to Turkey's role here, we've seen the SDF really step up. Can you talk about the importance of the SDF and the Syrian Kurds in the fight against ISIS? After the battle of Kobani, U.S. forces pivoted east. Uh, We realized after Kobani that the People's Protection Units were motivated and highly skilled. We encouraged them to cast a wider net and include not only Kurdish fighters, but Arabs as well. The Syrian Democratic Forces were born. The U.S. worked with them in Talabyad and also in the battle for Raqqa and ultimately to defeat ISIS in Baghuz. So SDF has proven to be the point of the spear, America's best partner and most reliable ally, far more reliable than Turkey has been, given its history of support the jihadist organizations that date back to 10 years now, 2012. This whole incident has put Turkey's connection to ISIS back in the spotlight, and you highlighted briefly how this works. The link, however, isn't recent, and it began, as you noted in your piece in 2013, when you write that the Turkish government was instrumental in the rise of ISIS. Can you walk our listeners through Turkey's connections to ISIS over the last nine years? When 
rebel groups were attacked using chemical weapons. Turkey hoped and expected that the U.S. would intervene in support of regime opponents. President Obama drew a red line, which he did not enforce. So Tayyip Erdogan took it upon himself to provide additional support to Sunni Islamist fighters. And that completely changed the tenor and content of U.S.-Turkey relations. Soon after those chemical weapons attacks, Turkey served as a conduit for foreign fighters. Up to 80,000 foreign fighters from 40 countries transited through Turkey to the front lines in Syria. Uh, their movements were facilitated by Turkey's National Intelligence Agency, which provided weapons, money, and logistical support. Uh, when jihadists were wounded on the battlefield, they ended up in hospitals in Turkey, no questions asked. So the U.S.-Turkey security cooperation changed dramatically after 2013, given the decision that was taken in Ankara to expand and intensify support for Islamist rebels. Ever since then, the U.S. has questioned Turkey's reliability, and that conversation has extended to Turkey's membership in NATO. There's an increasing clamor for some mechanism to sanction NATO members when they violate NATO principles or act in a way which undermines the alliance. Turkey's purchase of S-400 surface-to-air missiles from Russia further dramatized concerns about Turkey. You know, we still don't have an effective response, but these recent events remind us that the problem hasn't gone away and we need to deal with Turkey and assess their reliability. David, the location of Al-Qurashi's hideout and his predecessor's hideout as well shows once again that Islamic State leaders hide in places from where they can easily make use of the proximity to Turkish borders. What do we know about the way ISIS utilizes this proximity to Turkey to its advantage? Well, we don't know much about it, except the fact that Baghdadi and now Qureshi uh, were based in compounds near the Turkish border suggests that there was some benefit to them. They were hiding in plain sight. Those areas are full of jihadist militias, and the National Intelligence Agency has extensive personnel on the border. So the location of these two compounds near Turkey suggests that there was some material benefit to ISIS provided by Turkey. The details of that are unclear, but it warrants a congressional investigation. And if, in fact, Turkey was supplying U.S. military equipment to ISIS, there should be punitive measures taken. There should also be consideration to suspending Turkey's membership in NATO if it was using NATO-issued weapons against U.S. allies, in this case, the SDF. David, you talked about arming ISIS. Is there any evidence that Turkey is, in fact, providing arms to the Islamic State? So here again, the evidence is somewhat ambiguous. I've seen photos of Turkish equipment with Turkish markings on it. The photos indicated the equipment had been taken during the Hasaka prison break. Turkey's apologists suggest that those photos came from a different operation and a different part of Syria. So we really don't know the extent to which Turkey and ISIS colluded in the Hasaka prison operation. But there's enough evidence to be concerned and certainly enough evidence for the U.S. to withhold critical information on the raid of the Qureshi compound from Turkey. We didn't want the cover blown. We didn't want them to alert ISIS. 
The fact that we even have to consider those concerns is a strong indication that Turkey is no longer reliable, and we have to be very careful on what we share. The Hasaka prison break that you alluded to, it took place days before the joint operation between U.S. and SDF forces to take out al-Qarashi. What took place at the Hasaka prison break? Can you give us the broader context here? So there were four to 5,000 ISIS members in the Hasaka prison. There was a group of ISIS fighters that attacked the prison, ostensibly to free the prisoners. Their plan was to then go from Hasaka to Al-Hol, another camp where ISIS members and families are detained. We don't really know the details, but we do know that this was part of a strategic plan to augment the fighting force of ISIS, to free ISIS members from detention, and the process to set back the SDF as an effective partner of the U.S. and the global coalition fighting against ISIS. David, when the U.S. killed Osama bin Laden in Pakistan a decade ago, the U.S. focused on the Pakistani government's knowledge about bin Laden's presence in their country. Given the connections between Ankara and jihadi groups that you've outlined, and al-Qurayshi's proximity to Turkey, should the same thought process be applied when Congress or the administration decide to look into Turkey's involvement with ISIS? Yes, of course. We should know exactly what Turkey knew, when they knew it, and what was the extent of their collaboration with Islamist militias, including ISIS. Until we get answers to those questions, there's a long shadow that's cast on U.S.-Turkey security cooperation. What are some of the immediate steps that the United States can take here? It should interview and take affidavits from persons in the Hasaka prison compound aimed at documenting what happened and any possible links between ISIS fighters and international sponsors such as Turkey. That investigation shouldn't be conducted behind closed doors. It should be transparent. Congress should hold a hearing to discuss exactly the extent of Turkey's role. And if it's confirmed that Turkey was colluding with ISIS or providing U.S.-made or NATO-compliant weapons, then punitive measures will be called for. It's unfortunate that we've gotten to this point, but now after many years of betrayal by Turkey, the U.S. needs to have a steely-eyed approach. If Turkey was involved, there needs to be a price that Turkey pays. David, we talked about how the U.S. administration should hold Turkey itself accountable. But in Washington, D.C., there are a number of groups and individuals who essentially run interference on behalf of Turkey. How should this be dealt with? Firstly, those individuals should be registered as foreign agents. And if they're not, suitable legal steps should be taken against them. There should be a systematic effort to document Turkey's support to lobbyists and think tanks on K Street. There's an enormous amount of money that Turkey spends to defend its reputation. The best way for Turkey to defend its reputation is to come clean, share what it knows about jihadist activities and Ankara's collaboration with jihadi groups. As soon as we get some sunlight on that question, we'll know much more what next steps are required and what the U.S. government and other partners need to do in order to expose collusion, not only between Turkey and ISIS, but between Turkey's beneficiaries on K Street and the Turkish government. David, thanks for joining us again on The Greek Current. Great speaking with you as always. Thank you, Thomas. 
In other news, a representative of the U.S. State Department stated on Friday that there is no question of Greek sovereignty over its islands in the East Aegean. This was the response given when asked to comment on Turkish Foreign Minister Mevlut Cavusoglu's assertion that unless Greece demilitarized these islands, their sovereignty could be questioned. Cavusoglu's call was the latest move by Ankara in a long series of challenges to Greek sovereignty, including the submission of its claims in official documents to the United Nations, illegal overflights in the Aegean by Turkish jets, and other escalations. The Greek foreign ministry on Thursday rejected Turkey's latest demands to demilitarize its islands, dismissing them as going beyond simple logic. Finally, Cyprus and the United States on Friday signed a 10-year agreement on science and technology cooperation in what a visiting senior State Department official described as a new chapter in bilateral relations. The agreement was signed on the occasion of the International Day of Women and Girls in Science by Deputy Minister of Research, Innovation, and Digital Policy, Kiriakos Kokinos, and the U.S. Ambassador to Cyprus, Judith Garber. Erica Olson, the Deputy Assistant Secretary at the Bureau of European and Eurasian Affairs, described the deal as a comprehensive roadmap and commitment to a new day of scientific cooperation between the Republic of Cyprus and the United States. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.